0: Yo what's up all my brothers from other mothers thanks so much for taking time to tune in and listen to the Grizz podcast man I sincerely hope you had a fun and relaxing weekend but now it is time to get back to the grind and the Grizz is here to give you a fresh shot of motivation guidance and encouragement on your journey with Christ what you're about to hear is my recent interview with George Webby For those of you who don't know George, he is the owner and head instructor at Lionheart Jiu-Jitsu Academy in Birmingham, Alabama. He has over 30 years experience in martial arts and has even trained with Hoyce Gracie. He also served as a United States Marine, a police officer, and a federal air marshal. More importantly, George is a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. He's a husband. He's a father of four children who is fighting to make a godly impact upon his family and other people. He serves as a chaplain at an addiction recovery mission in Birmingham and he disciples Christian men through his jiu-jitsu academy and also through a program he developed called Man on Purpose, which you'll hear him talk about. George has an incredible story That definitely motivates me to keep stepping up and manning up, and I believe it's going to do the same for you. I'm going to come back at the conclusion of this interview with some important closing items of Grizz Biz, so stay tuned for that, and here we go.
1: Yeah, y'all know what time it is. You're listening to The Grizz Podcast. It's gonna be raw, it's gonna be real, and it's gonna be relevant. We're here to guide, encourage, and equip you to live the manly life that God is calling you to live. It's time for you to step up and man up. That's what God expects, and that's what this jacked-up world desperately needs. Now, here's our host, Jason George.
0: He hey. George Webby, welcome to the Grizz Podcast, brother. I am glad you are here.
1: Totally honored, man. Glad you uh, glad you called.
0: Man, where are you coming at us from?
1: So I'm in Birmingham, Alabama. Actually, uh, Chelsea, Alabama, about 30 minutes south of Birmingham, Alabama.
0: Oh, man. So uh what happened to Roll Tide?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, like I said, uh, you know, some would say that Alabama faced off with Tennessee and the refs. So, but uh, uh, yeah,
0: <laughs> that's hilarious. You
1: got throw those excuses out there, man, especially when you're a diehard fan. And you don't want to see your team lose, man. It's got to be something else.
0: Yeah, I'm telling you, nobody beats Roll Tide. And so when it happens, it's just epic, dude. And to see Saban's face at the end, I was like, oh, man.
1: Yeah, they tear their school apart, actually, when they when they beat Alabama. It's it's the national championship game, you know?
0: Yeah, no kidding. Goalposts were coming down, everything. phone in
1: rivers. It's, Jeez, it's crazy. is that
0: what they did with it?
1: Yeah, they threw it in the river, yeah. And now they, they're on their own social media asking for donations to buy uh, goalposts.
0: <laughs> of course they are. <laughs> we'll probably have to, I don't know, pay that somehow in taxes or something.
1: Well, they got fined $100,000. That's it. The, the university did.
0: Oh, Wow. Yeah. who finds the university
1: well the NW, uh, NCAA uh find them for failing to secure the field and they'll, they'll, yeah something like that yeah oh that's who, geez that's who find them NCAA. man I
0: didn't know that
1: yep yep
0: wow all right so you're married got kids tell us about that brother
1: yeah so me and my wife have been married going on 28 years uh coming in March uh we have four children uh 25 22 21 and then 13. Uh, three daughters are the oldest, and my son's the youngest. Uh, my oldest daughter's married; she lives right up the street uh, with her husband, and we we have a granddaughter. She's one year old. It's Tatum.
0: That's awesome. That's exciting. I haven't hit the grandpa years yet. My oldest is twenty three, so yeah. looking forward to that, but yet not ready.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. You look a lot younger than me, man. You're, you're forty seven. Like weathered.
0: Forty seven. Forty seven. Yeah. you're
1: older than me by like a little bit. I'm forty six.
0: Wow. You, I think you've been beat up more. I mean, I've been beat up, but I think you've been... So you're
1: acknowledging that I'm uglier. I got it. See see what he just did there? You did it. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. All right. All right. I we're, see going here.
0: We're going to talk some martial art jujitsu later, so I'm excited. And I'm just kidding, man. Dude, you're probably dishing know. it out more than anybody's giving it to you. Um, yeah. Let's see. Tell me about your home life growing up, man. I always like to hear from guys with that. Like, did you grow up in a Christian home? Was it a tough upbringing? Um, give us a little background on you.
1: Okay. Yeah, sure. So the, the, the upbringing I, I grew up in was very um, loving home, but at the same time, tough love, like uh, especially, you know, relationship with your father, uh, always a high standard of performance in my house. Um, I would say if it was negative at all, it was literally the expectations were so set so high that, that failure was almost uh, a constant. And therefore you kind of had this feeling that you're always letting your dad down. And that's a driving factor for any man, you know, obviously. And so definitely it was for me as well. But We were raised in a, in a Christian home. Uh, my father was a little checked out on all that. You know, that was kind of my mom's shtick. You know, she would make sure we get to church on Sunday, Wednesday, uh, always in sports. My mom had a philosophy of raising boys. She said, keep them in church, keep them in sports, you know, keep them out of, uh, you know, bad elements and bad folks. So, and, and it worked out pretty well for me and my brother.
0: I like that philosophy, man. I think it's important. So, and I know not every dude's going to gravitate toward it, but maybe it's music or something, but keep them involved, man.
1: Keep them in something for sure.
0: Yep. Um, So when did you become a Christ follower and who was instrumental in that?
1: Yeah. So, you know, going to church, oddly enough, it's about seven years old. um, I asked a Sunday school teacher, you know, what does it mean to be a Christian, you know? And, and so she had an answer. I don't remember what it was. I just remember asking. I do remember asking. And so, uh, mom, I then asked my mom. I was like, what is it? What is this Christian thing I keep hearing about? What is what is What is Christian? And then my mom gave me some, you know, <sighs> cultural Christianity kind of answer. I remember it wasn't what I know to be the gospel now, you know, uh, fair enough. In my mom's defense. She probably was just dealing with a seven year old. Um, But then uh, by nine, I kept asking that question. But by nine, I started to really ask in Sunday school classes, you know, what does it mean? And I I feel like this. And so the Sunday school teacher reached out to my mom and said, hey, I think your son's interested in hearing the gospel. I think he's open to it. Would you mind if I come to your house and share the gospel with him? And I remember it like it was yesterday. And she came over and we sat down at, at you know, the dining room table, just like I'm sitting down right now. And Mm -hmm. she sat down and presented the gospel to me. I literally remember how she did it. And I pretty much use the exact same kind of steps when I present it. Mm. And I prayed to receive Christ. Um, You know, I believe that uh, he saved me long ago, but ultimately I prayed to to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. In the Baptist church, you got to do a couple of weeks of like a uh, discipleship, understanding what you're getting into before they baptize you. Mm -hmm. I got baptized at the age of nine. And so from that moment on, I, I feel like at that moment I had a realization of, of of God's saving grace, and you know, lived a life pretty much in and out of the church, but never fully straying until probably my uh, my older teenage years, you know, probably seventeen, mm-hmm. and always kept you know faith in the sense that I believed, but I would walk as if I didn't. I think a lot of people can relate to that a little bit. That I kept this in the back of my head as this belief system a moral code, if you will, but you kind of walk away from the Lord, you, you fail to follow him. A lot of it has to do with wanting to, in your own mind, experience the world or something. I, I can't explain why we stray like that, at least for me. And and so uh, it wasn't until 10 years ago that I, I rededicated my life to Christ. And it was through this, I would consider a supernatural encounter with him uh, through his word. And so uh, we can get into that if you'd like to eventually.
0: Yeah, man, I want to. First, when you were growing up, though, your parents had you heavily involved in sports. What kind of sports were you in growing up?
1: Well, we never, uh, me and my brother had to be in a sport all the time. So it was mostly baseball. You play fall ball, (laughs) spring ball, uh, football, wrestling. We got in middle school. We both wrestled. Um, my brother got, became a professional, uh, ice skater. He ended up being a, uh, on Disney's Walt Disney's world on ice. You know, he did that cause he got into that as well. So we always had to have some sort of activity. So whatever sport it was, we would be playing tennis in the off season, just drop in tennis with, with buddies and stuff. Nothing too formal basketball, whatever we could get into. Mm. My parents never let us be idle.
0: Mm. That's good stuff, man. So at nine years old, God's working in your heart. You pray to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's real. But as you get into age 17, some things are pulling at you. It happens to a lot of us. And then you said about 10 years ago, you really rededicated your life. You had a serious encounter. What? Tell us about that, man.
1: Yeah, man. So <clears throat> let me go back just a little bit to, you know, around 16. I felt like I had this call in my life to be a minister or a pastor. At the time, it was like, Billy Graham, you know, you always, you know, back in those days, you're talking 30 years ago, you know, it was Billy Graham. Mm -hmm. And everybody thought they were going to, I mean, I thought, you know, that was like an idol kind of, you know, would see him and and, and hear him speak and and read his books. I read his books and stuff as a teenager. And so I always had this envision that I was going to lead the perfect Christian family. You know, I was going to be a perfect Christian father and, and do everything according to God's word. And, And you go off the rails, you know, senior year, you start, uh, dating a girl, you probably shouldn't date. You start doing things you probably shouldn't be doing and hanging out with folks. You shouldn't be hanging out with And next thing, you know, you look up and it's many years later. Now that's not my wife, mind you You So yeah, that's not her, but, um, yeah. So you make some decisions, but ultimately you lead a path that you kind of look back on your life at some point and go, man, what happened? You know, where did it go off the rails? Not all bad, you know, but, but you would like for it to be a little different. Yeah. And so, uh, when I was 16, I had this envision I was going to have these, I would teach my kids about Christ. I would raise them in the church. We would be like the, the Christian family, you know? And, and by the time I got 10 years ago, my middle daughter who's 22 now, obviously she was 12 and me and my wife were on our way to watch a movie and, uh, you know, just uh, I'm Avengers or something. I don't know what we were going to go see. We went, we, that was our thing on Friday nights, me and my wife would go, uh, and watch movies. But on Saturday nights, I had a jiu-jitsu school and I had a bunch of guys that were about 10 years my junior that looked up to me and, and I had a major influence on. And so they wanted to go out and party on Saturday nights. And my wife was like, whatever, I'm at home with the kids. So Friday night, I would take her out to dinner and a movie. And then on Saturdays, I would go out and party with the guys. And when I say party, go to you know uh, nightclubs or whatever and just and just drink and and yeah. you know, and, and, and hope to get home safely kind of thing. Really stupid behavior. But anyway, but I had this influence. I used that influence. To, obviously, they would buy me drinks and they would pick me up and bring me home. It was like this weird little fiefdom that I would created for myself, you know, mm. this cult of personality. And that martial arts has that effect on people. We can get into that, too, if you'd like as well. how Why that's the case. But anyway, so that's the case. And so we're driving to this movie and I, it was around April 10 years ago. And my wife says to me, Hey, you know, Emma asked for something for Easter that kind of took me by surprise. And I was like, what is that? Now, mind you, at this point, Easter t- to me was like Easter bunnies and, you know, candy and searching for eggs. Now, once again, I believe in the resurrection. I had all these beliefs that I just didn't walk out and didn't share with anybody. It was like something I kept, you know, in the periphery.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I was I like, driving down the road and, and she said, yeah, she said she wanted a Bible. And I was like, what? Mm. Like, what do you mean? Not that I was offended. I was, there was a part of me that was like really happy, but I was also like, where's this coming from? Right. And I said, well, who's she talking to? Like, is there some kid at school trying to proselytize her? You know, what's going on here? There's a little bit of like jealousy at the same. So ahead. were
0: y'all going to church? No. Okay.
1: No, no, not at all. Not, there was no like praying. There was no sharing. There was no nothing. Yeah. It was. So it was that was out of nowhere. Of secular life.
0: That was out you of know, nowhere. Her asking. Out of nowhere. Like okay. out of
1: nowhere. And immediately when my wife said that she hadn't been talking to anybody, I said, what kid is she hanging out with? Is there some, you know, kid trying to, you know, proselytize or whatever? She said, no, nothing. And matter of fact, when she said it, her sisters heard her and go, ooh, ooh we want one too. And they were all, like, all excited about it. And I was like, like there's bottles of the house, you know what I mean? They're, they're on the bookshelf with dust on them, you know what I mean? But it was like, where's this coming from? And and so immediately it was my voice, but I, it was the Lord that brought a passage to my mind from Romans chapter three, when it says, No man seeketh after God, there's none righteous, there's none good, no one seeketh after God. And immediately I was like, Then where's this coming from? You know, in my mind, it was like I answered back to myself, then where's this coming from? And then the Lord using my voice, it was my voice in my own head, but it was the Lord. It was it was literally, you remember how you promised that you were going to raise your kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord? And that verse came in my head as well from Ephesians. Well, I'm going around you, mm. and I remember I was just sunk in my chair, like as I'm driving this this minivan to the thing, and I was just going this sense of like there was a little conviction and condemnation, a little kind of mixture of this like oh no this OSM moment, like you know, and I said no 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 you're not Lord no you're not, and so I said to my wife like hey if they want Bibles well then let's do this let's let's go to a labor movie there's a bookstore along the way we'll get them Bibles. And my wife's like, oh, Lord, because I love to read. She's like, I know what this means. This means you're going to get them a Bible. You're going to buy some books for yourself, you know? And I was like, no, 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 no. You know, we're going to get them Bibles. And so I remember driving there and really excited about it. I mean, just this fire lit on me that God spoke to me. It just became real. And and, and in that moment, I said, no, 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 you're not. That he gave me the opportunity to step up. And I just remember that feeling. It was like, you're, you're given this opportunity to step up. And and, and I, so I went and bought them Bibles. And then I bought me one. And naturally, my wife is going, uh-huh. But it was a devotional Bible I'd never seen before. You know, okay, every day has a section of the scripture. You can read the entire thing in 365 days. And so I bought that and we went to that movie. But I remember the whole time I was at the movie theater, I was just thinking to myself, man, I can't wait to get up in the morning and have a quiet time. I remember that as a kid, having a quiet time, you know, mm. to get up and talk to the Lord, read the read this Bible It's sitting in my car right now, just, mm. you know, on fire waiting to be unwrapped, you know, because it had a rap, wrapping on it. But anyway, and so I, that next morning I woke up. Uh, 6 a.m. And I had the most impactful moment in scripture ever, where when I was a kid, I remember kind of drudgingly having to force myself through it. It was like a, this this, this effort, you know, and this, it just, it was like, it jumped off the page. About how old were you? Uh, 36.
0: Okay. At the time. So
1: 10, I'm 46 now, 10 years ago, 36.
0: All right. Keep going. That's good.
1: Yeah. So now keep in mind as well that I developed this lifestyle where I slept into like noon. You know what I mean? And so getting up, when I was in the Marine Corps and stuff, we had to get up early and all that, but I hated getting up early. Hated it, hated it, hated it. And so anyway, I got I built this lifestyle where if I got up at 10, that was waking up early, you know? And and so I got up at six. I remember that was a big thing was getting up early. I remember that being a big thing when I was a kid, that that was how you showed discipline. And so with having the time of the Lord and you're, you're, you're kind of isolated and it's just you and him. And so I did that. And I remember just feeling like it was amazing. It was just, a, it was incredible. Uh, the, the moment, just the presence I felt, it was just real, man. It was just more real than ever, anything I've ever been before. And and at that moment, it's like, my mind just changed, it, it, you know, it, it changed. And, and, you know, I get guys texting me and go, hey, man, we going out tonight. And, and and what time are we picking you up? And I was like, I don't know, I'm going to hang out with the family tonight. And they were like, what? You know, they, I got this like, ah, you're kidding, right? I was mm. like, no, I'm not kidding. And so I did that for about a week and a half. And I would have a jujitsu class on Tuesdays and Thursdays at like 10. And then after we go get lunch with a couple of my guys and I'm going to, the story's going to shift here a little bit of that. Is that, that's okay.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay. It's going to get, getting going to get weird. Okay. So anyway, I'm, I'm continuing this quiet time every morning, I get up early, um, you know, having the time of the Lord. It's amazing. I'm just doing the, you know, the one a day Bible thing and having a prayer time with him. And I teach a class at, uh, on a, Tuesday, I believe. Yeah. A Tuesday. So it was that next week. And then the next Tuesday. So about a week and a half later, um, I'm doing a jujitsu class and I have one of my students who owned businesses and he dated a girl in the, in the gym and she was a blue belt. He was a, he was a Brown belt. Uh, I was a black belt and, um, we had trained class and he'd had a falling out with her a little bit. And he was like, Hey man, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go check on her and heard from her. And I'm going to meet you at the, at the restaurant. And I was like, all right, cool. No problem we'll come to find out uh, she'd killed herself oh. and it sent shockwaves through my gym. I mean, here's uh, i mean, <clears throat> it, we were a small town, Winchester, Virginia, and it sent shockwaves <clears> to <throat> it when that happened. And she was young and beautiful and she was I actually at a TV show and she was like an extra on the TV show. One of the series is he was in there too. It was, and my daughters knew her, they trained with her cause she was a little thing and they, so they could train with her even when with her teenagers. My wife trained with her. my wife was really good friends with her. I mean, it was just, She was a pinnacle, you know, kind of a person in the gym with him. And it literally was like, all these people came to me and they were like, why would she do this? What does this mean? And just all these questions. And the Lord told me again, he said, this is why I called you back. Mm. I was like,
0: Mm. you know. So you feel like he was calling you back. Like, I need to use you to be more than an instructor.
1: yeah, man, I, people came to me like, man, what's going on, dude? Like, why would this happen? You know, I thought she was like a Christian and all. And I was like, because me and her would have conversations, but we were both in a similar vein. We both believed, mm. but yet eh, we kind of live in life kind of thing. And and it was just wild, man. And and, and he was like devastated. My, my student that, that dated her, he was obviously devastated because it was an argument they had. And he was just, it was just chaos. It was crazy. And 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 the Lord just had this soothing and man, we end up having a memorial service, a Christian, like where there's the sharing the gospel on, at my gym before we were hosting UFC parties and getting hammered. You know what I mean? And now mm-hmm. we're doing that. And, and eventually I'm baptizing dudes in rivers. I mean, it, it got weird, man. Good weird. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was like, it was just <laughs> wild, dude. It was wild, man. That was the beginning of just a crazy ride until the moment we're sitting right here, man.
0: Man, that's awesome. It's a new way to be human, brother. Yeah. You know, one of the things you said is like your daughter wants the Bible and then all of a sudden scripture starts coming to mind and you hadn't been in the word. You hadn't been going to church. This is stuff from early in life that was implanted in your heart and mind. And God says 20 years earlier. That's right, man. And God says, my word won't return void. And it also says, train up a child in the way he should go when he's old. You know, it's the actual translation is not, um, and he will return to it. It's, it will return to him. Like yeah. it does. It's in you, man. And it, it's right. awesome that it came up and God was like using that big time.
1: Yep. Yeah. I, I, amen. hundred percent. I have no doubt.
0: Mm. So one of the things you said, want to circle back to there's so much, man, but you said something about getting up early was crucial. There's a discipline. You knew that that's what a disciplined life looked like, but it was also important like to start your day with God. and That's something that I'm really big on. I struggle too. I'm not a morning person, but I'm trying every day to discipline myself. You get up, you start your day with God, and then you get at whatever you got to get at. Talk about that a little bit, why that's important for men.
1: Amen. Well, the Lord did it. First of all, if, the, if it was good enough for the master, it's good enough for me. Mm. And, I, and I hear God say, hey, well, I'm an evening guy. I like to do it in the evening. And, and I get all that, man. I used to be that guy. And even when I started coming uh, into the Lord, that excuse kind of wanted to come up. And I, hey, listen, I know lifestyles change. I'm not sitting here telling you, you got to do it a certain way. I just feel for me, it's vital because it's I'm sacrificing something. There needs to be some sort of, there needs to be some pain to this. You know, we're to suffer with him. And guess what, man? I will cut back sleep no matter what time I go. I have a, a discipline now that I get at 4 a.m. And, and and literally that time is devoted to the Lord. It's still dark outside. And that's what it says when it was still dark outside. The Lord separated himself to go pray. And so, you know, I do that not in some kind of like legalistic sense, but I get to have that time with the Lord and it is powerful. I would never trade that for anything. Yep. It doesn't matter if me and my wife have discussions till the wee hours of the night that alarm's going off and getting I'm getting up and I'm getting after it. You know what I mean? And and so and, and I have a process I call the mental purpose blueprint. And that's step three is equip the warrior and that you have to be able to have that discipline of coming before the king. I call beholding the king. You have to come before the king in what I call a king's brief and quiet time king's brief. Yeah. You go and hear from the king before you go out on mission.
0: And I like that. You know, throughout my life, I've been a Christian for, Right around 30 years. I think it was right around 16 or 17. Um, thought that I was a Christian, grew up in the church, mm. did not look like a Christian at all. It was getting worse and worse, but then God gets a hold of my life in a chapel service at a Christian high school. And um throughout the 30 years as a Christian, every man and even women that have had a deep spiritual impact upon me. I'm talking people that walk with God. I have never known any of them that did not get up early and start their day by seeking God. Not one. It is a common attribute, like for all of them. Agreed. So cool. Same thing. And then you mentioned something about the cult of personality in, martial arts it happens to a lot of guys talking to that brother but first tell the guys a little bit of your background with martial arts and then let's get into that because i okay. want them to hear because i know some of the listeners um do roll
1: okay yeah so i first started martial arts when i was nine uh i saw the karate kid that dates me obviously dates you nine years old went and saw the karate kid the original ralph macho i know cobra kai is real big now and but anyway so i saw um Karate Kid. And I was fascinated. I wanted to learn, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to have my own Mr. Miyagi. I want to be Daniel Russo. Honestly, I want to be Johnny, but we can get into that later. It's actually <laughs> cool to be Johnny now, but back then it wasn't cool to be Johnny. And I yeah. wanted to be Johnny because I was blonde headed. And I don't know. Anyway, so
0: Johnny I was to, badass. I and Daniel was soft. Doggy.
1: And so I took martial art. I took karate, kyokushin karate, which is a harder style karate. I did it for about two years. Uh, and I was obsessed with everything ninja. And, you know, back then it was all movies. It was like 80s was all ninja movies and, and you know, Enter the Dragon. I probably saw a thousand times, uh, you know, uh, No Retreats, No Surrender, which is so campy and cheesy. I, I probably saw a million times. I couldn't tell. I had it on VHS and just roll it over and over again. And we would bootleg the copies and it was crazy. Anyway, so I would get together to with local kids in the, in the neighborhood and we'd get on trampolines and we would reenact, you know, fight choreography scenes from these movies, just obsessed with it. Well that went on until I went into yeah.
0: To do the crane technique.
1: You... Oh yeah, man. You thought that was that was the end all be all. That was the uh <laughs> no can defend, right? So um yeah, got into that and, and then so then I entered a middle school and got into wrestling, right? Started wrestling middle school, my seventh grade year, um, wrestled up until probably my sophomore junior year in high school, and then I sacrificed that to football, but anyway, um, so I could lift more weights. But 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 anyway, I digress. So I got into wrestling for a handful of years. And then at 15, I saw, uh, above the law with Steven Seagal and I saw him flipping dudes and breaking their arms and just throwing them around like they were, you know, this, this rag doll in them. And I, and I was like, dude, I want to learn this. And so I did a little research. I actually looked at the credits on the movie. I slowed the VHS down and paused mm. it and I made out Aikido practitioners. And I was like, oh, that's what that is. You know, cause it's so hard to research that we didn't have the internet then. And so I, uh, I I researched and went in the phone book and found an Aikido place and started taking Aikido, and I was doing that for a while and and it was close to wrestling but just not there so I did that until I was about seventeen, and then once again I went I was taking a date to a movie we went and saw Bruce Lee the dra- the dragon the Bruce Lee story right. And so while I'm in this, going to this movie theater, there's some dudes outside doing a martial arts demonstration and they're doing Jeet Kune Do. They're doing like some energy sensitivity drills and stuff. If you're familiar with the, the art of Jeet Kune Do. Um, and so anyway, I kind of asked them, got some cards from them and stuff and watched that movie. Naturally, I'm infatuated and I run off and try to start doing that. Well, while I'm training that art, UFC 1 comes out mm-hmm. on pay-per-view. And, you know, I got a, video of it about a couple of days later a buddy of mine had got it on pay-per-view and he recorded it and back then see everybody's so used to having UFC now but back then it was almost like pornography watch this like you're watching a snuff film.
0: That's right I was it was like, dude, underground man thing. Huh? it was like underground like almost yeah forbidden. I was like dude
1: you gotta see this is crazy they're really fighting each other like Yeah, they're not it's not a movie man they're like there's blood and everything I was like yeah so we all kind of gather around almost like under a sheet or something was watching this thing. And I was amazed. And, like, as I'm watching, it was live to me, but it was recorded, right? And it was, like, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And I was like, what? That sounds fake. That sounds made up. Well, here's the deal. All martial arts are made up, right? Hmm. But anyway, so I was like, that dude's going to get wrecked. This big old guy. And we watched. And he just wrecked, dude. Made it like it was easy. And it looked like wrestling to me. So I was like, wow, this looks like wrestling. But I don't understand what he's doing.
0: Do you remember so who that go. guy was? Huh? Do you remember who that guy was? Yeah,
1: Hoist Gracie. Yeah, it was gotcha. Hoist. I've trained with horses, so so it was cool. So I um I went to uh, uh, I went back to my sifu at the judo place, and, I, and I'll keep his name off the record here. But it was like I said to him, you know, hey man, did you see this ultimate fighting championship thing? And he goes, "Those guys need to stand up and fight like men." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." And I thought to myself, "I was like, well, that sounds like a cop out. I mean, we're like Bruce Lee's fighting method. Bruce Lee's supposed to be the best. That's your answer." is that they should stand up and fight like, man, I was like, well, what would you do about it? Because I was a wrestler, and I was like, dude, I feel like I could get you on the ground, and you do what to me? You know what I mean? And so in that moment, there was like a seed kind of planted in 93 about doing the UFC, you know I mean, to, 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 to see this thing and the, and to get into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. But you couldn't find it anywhere, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was till six years later, I finally got into it. I was in the Marine. I'd gotten out of the Marine Corps as a police officer and, and finally got into it
0: officially. Mm. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah, I remember the first time I saw it, um it did feel like you were watching something like the movie fight club and i was like this is real like blood was flying and they didn't have all the rules like they do now man it was just like go for it so you said that through your years in martial art you see a lot of guys develop a cult of personality explain that brother
1: yeah. So it goes back to that Mr. Miyagi syndrome. You know, everybody wants their own little Mr. Miyagi that not only teaches them the art, but teaches them philosophies of life and how to think and how to how to how just to, to be, you know, just to be. And so, there, you know, martial arts has this huge crossover uh, into other areas. It's not just an activity. It's not like having a coach in sports. Yes, a coach in sports has definitely influence on young men's, you know, how they think and how they talk and how they act. But martial arts has a, another connection to it. It's like this guy's supposed to have not only the answers on the matter in the dojo, but about all of life. It has this philosophical kind of almost religious connotation to it. And so there's a lot of power in that. There's a lot of attraction to that to not only have, a you know, kind of a guru, but also to be one because mm-hmm. it gives you a lot of power, a lot of influence. And so that was part of that revelation the Lord showed me in that moment with my daughters that you've been squandering. All this that I gave you, not only in your family, but also with the platform I'm giving you, you using it to, to get drunk with these people and to have parties and for them to, to hang on your every word. When in reality, I've given you this so that they can know me.
0: Mm. That's good, man. I see what you're saying. You're right. Coaches have a big influence, but when you think about martial arts, they are, I'm, you're expecting them to impart more than just moves technique you're expecting them to impart something about the life well lived that kind of thing agreed never thought about yes. that good stuff so you went into the marines and before we get into that what that was like i gotta ask you did the movie heartbreak ridge have anything to do with that because man, i saw that movie as a kid and i was like i gotta be a marine
1: yeah yeah, definitely the, the the character of Gunny Highway is impactful, but really it was Gunnery Sergeant Hartman in Full Metal Jacket oh. that really pushed me over. It was Full Metal Jacket. It was A Few Good Men, the Jack Nicholson character, and then also uh, Clint Eastwood's uh, Gunny Highway. Yeah. The, all those really did influence heavily on my psyche. I want to do that because what I was, I kind of looked at as I always wanted to know what it was to be, um, Masculine, right? Um, I, I kind of chase that, and that goes back to a childhood trauma that I'm not totally uh, against sharing. You know, I mean, we all have little childhood mm-hmm. traumas, how they impact us, and you know, in my work in being a chaplain and a Christian counselor to in men's recovery, I, I see this this pattern often that there's some sort of childhood trauma that usually surrounds a relationship with a father and a son, and mine's no different. You know, so um, you know, and for the, for the record, you know, my dad is, is, is a, is a good man. Uh, he's a Christian. Uh, now he, um, he did the best he could, you know what I mean? With what yep. he was given based on what he, he kind of knew. And he was a family of an immigrant. We're Lebanese. My last name's Lebanese. I'm a quarter Lebanese. My dad's half. And so there's a lot of that kind of influence in there as well. Uh, that kind of filtered into this, but at six years old, me and my my cousin, who's really my older brother, really, you know, he's my first cousin, my mom's sister's son, and we were, he's three years older than me, and so when I was six and he was nine, we basically were around each other all the time, and I looked up to him, man, I still, we're still best friends to this day, we have Bible study uh, every Sunday, and he also is a student of mine in jujitsu, oddly enough, but anyway, so he spent the night, and my dad worked night shift, and my dad came home, and he probably had a bad day or whatever. We're watching Saturday morning cartoons about seven o'clock in the morning. And I'm kind of sitting next to him real close on the couch. And we're watching cartoons and, and just, I mean, there's an entire room of furniture and we're sitting next to each other in we're in the room. And for whatever reason, my dad comes in and he he puts his stuff away. And I could tell as soon as he moves in the door that something's wrong. You know what I mean? It's like, he's mad about something or he's upset. We, What did we do wrong? Did mom call and say we were acting up last night or something? You know, I have no idea. But that instant guilt kind of happens. I remember mm-hmm. like it was yesterday. He goes in the back room. He comes back out. And he calls my cousin back. He's a like, Dustin. His name's Dustin. Come here. So Dustin goes back in the back and they're back there about five minutes. I'm thinking, is he getting a spanking? What's going on? I don't know what's you know happening here. My cousin comes out and he sits on the opposite end of the room and he has this kind of look on his face like this kind of like shocked look. And I'm going, what happened? And, he, and my dad calls me back there and I go back there and he sits me on the bed and he goes, son, do you know what a sissy is? and i'm like uh no and he get, he proceeds to tell me what like homosexuality is in not a graphic way but just kind of tells me what it is and this mm-hmm. this fear that we're going to be viewed that way or something i remember feeling like in that moment like man uh one like how could you think this and that's weird and i was like you know just saying like i'd never seen anything like or heard anything like that but there was this instant guilt that i had led my dad to think that this was a possibility Mm. when it wasn't, but it was like this overshadowing ghost of like, and to me, homosexuality was joined with being feminine. I didn't, you know, I didn't know any better. So that's what I thought he meant. And so I didn't really understand the the, the, the mechanical aspects of that whole thing, but I just thought it being feminine. You act like a girl when you're really a boy. Yeah. And so I started to obsess my mind to always proven that I was super masculine. Mm. So I pursued football. I pursued the hardest positions. Being a small guy was like, offensive tackle, defensive end. You know, I'm gonna be I'm gonna play defense because that's the tough guy role. I'm gonna wrestle. I'm gonna do martial arts. I'm gonna do but always this insecurity in it to prove my dad I'm not a sissy. You know what I mean? Right. And so I joined the Marine Corps, became a cop and and picked the Marine Corps because it was the worst of all of them. And and I picked the police department that was like the one that was most crime ridden and had the possibility of having the most danger. And I picked the martial arts when I even went to Brazilian Just I was like, yes, this one's rough and hard nosed. So that always was in the the back periphery of motivating me was to prove that I'm not a sissy.
0: Man, that's really interesting that you say that. Um, That kind of trauma is, I think, the most common, the words of a father um, and the impact that they have upon a son. Like I remember in John Eldridge's book that he uh, wrote years ago, Wild at Heart, he talks about how even if you had a good dad, which it sounds like you did, good, solid dad, But he made a mistake. He wounded his son with those words or implying that to you. Mm -hmm. And it haunts you throughout your life. And there's nothing wrong with going out for the tough sports and becoming a police officer and Marine. And dude, that's, that's honorable. But at the same time, when you really start digging and checking your motive uh, for a lot of guys, they're pursuing it for the same reason to, to prove I am truly manly and define manliness apart from identity in Christ. So speak into yeah. that some brother.
1: Yeah. So it was, it was only when I had that revelatory kind of experience. This was a couple of years ago. This was probably, I want to say maybe seven years ago. So I'd already been in Alabama actually maybe six years ago. Sorry. So I was sitting there in a, a gun shop. I was working in a, at a gun store for a little while while still running my school. And, I remember this song came on. I can't remember. It was a Christian song. We played over the top of the radio and and it was something about, I don't even know the name of the song, but the guy talks about being up on a mountain and kind of looking at his life and saying, okay, what's it been all for, you know? And I, and I started thinking like, man, you know, why have I led the life that I've lived? You know, why did I, why was I obsessed with these things? And it was only when I started to kind of probe in. And then once again, the Lord spoke to me, he said, I allowed those things. And it was my thoughts, but it was really the Lord driving. it. You you know how that is? He said, I allow these, I orchestrated this. I put you in the season and the times of life because men are drawn to the masculine mm. and men are naturally drawn to you. They want to be around you. They want to to know you. And I did this because it created in you this thing that you're going to lead them to me. They're going to think all these things you've done, the the, the military, the law, the law enforcement, the, the martial arts, the gunplay, any and all of it. The fact that you're a big dude, you know, for the most part, they're going to come to you wanting these things, but you're going to show them me. Mm. And so if, if I didn't allow you to go through these things, those would not have developed in you and they wouldn't have created who you are as this beacon. And so mm. I was like, Whoa. man, I get emotional, dude. It's uh...
0: No, I love it, man. You real... know I mean,
1: it's cool. I'm cool with it, but it's, it's yeah, it's tough, man. It's hard for me to talk about, it. but it's good because it's true. And it, and, and it's, it's the, the way God's done this, you know?
0: Mm. Yeah, man. Real men do get emotional over the right things, So I love it, man. <laughs> would you say overall your experience with serving in the marines was a positive experience
1: oh absolutely now you know when you you know every marine when he gets out after 4 years he acts like he was he loved it the entire time he was in i mean let's be honest that's not how it generally works if you loved it you still be in and so unless they force you out there's always that you know just don't have enough spots for people and that, that sort of thing but so while i was in it was like yes i did it because once again i joined the marine corps to be a marine and that, that happens after boot camp. And so once you're done, you're like, okay, now what? It's like, I got what I wanted. I proved I could be a Marine. And now you're forced for the next four years to work as a Marine, right? You're going to do the duty as, as a Marine. And so now you're like, huh, you know, when's this going to be over? Because you really just did it for the title. You know, I, it's almost like these are these these rites of passage that you want to go through that somehow it's going to be this revelatory experience that you're now going to have it all figured out. And when that doesn't happen, you're like, now what? So I made the best of it in the sense that you know I joined the Marine, uh, the marines to go into the infantry to be this kind of hardcore thing. I ended up in Washington D.C. in uh, Marine Barracks, Washington, which is the, you see the kind of the Sunday or the Saturday night parades and things of that nature, right? And so it was really kind of the uh, dog and pony show of the Marine Corps. And so I ended up being there. It was really, I'll be honest, miserable. Uh it's literally like being in boot camp for a while. You're spit shining everything all the time. You're, you're everything's super refined. You're not getting to do the cool things you wanted to do when you when you signed up for that kind of was in your mind that you were gonna be doing. Um, and so I was stuck doing that for quite a long time, got married to my met my wife. You know, that was a, a good, great, great saving grace there. Uh, we started having, you know, our children. Um, so I went to end up in the marine barracks uh, Annapolis, right? Which is a, a subsect of Marine Barracks, Washington. It covered the 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 Uh, Naval Academy. So we guarded the Naval Academy. And now back then the Naval Academy, some of the Navy guys, the uh, sorry, the midshipmen were like stealing cars and stuff. And so we used to joke that we protect Annapolis from the midshipmen, but instead of the other way around. But ultimately we were there. And while I was there, I got meritorious promoted. I tried to make the best of it. But the cool thing was, is that I'd start off in what's called a Yankee white program. When I was in Mary Barracks, Washington, the reason why I got there is because I had a clean background uh, I was five eleven and three quarters tall, like, like six feet tall. I was an infantry guy, I had an infantry, uh, MOS while I was there. And those were all criteria to be a presidential Marine century to be a, a presidential guard. Right. And so I was groomed for that and they sent me through getting my background done, a lot of type stuff, but I didn't end up going into that field. Right. They'd had this, it was too many guys already. So they sent me to Marine barracks Annapolis. And while I was there, My clearance kept going, unbeknownst to me and everybody else, my clearance kept going. So I ended up getting a top secret clearance, not needing it. They just kept it going without stopping it. And so when I went to a meritorious Corporal board back down in Washington, I stopped in to the S4 shop, which is the intelligence kind of shop. And I just kind of asked, hey, where's my clearance at? And they said, oh, it's an inactive category one top secret clearance. And I was like, oh, wow. And those things are like gold if you want to get a job in government after. And so I immediately thought about, man, how can I get, how can I use this thing? How can I leverage it? Because it's good for five years once it's activated, right? And so I was like, man, how can I leverage this, you know, to, when I get out? And so I went back and a buddy of mine who I knew earlier had become a White House NCO. So the Marines you see stand behind the president of the West Wing. And I talked to him and he said, yeah, we were hurting because you can only do that job for a year due to complacency. They don't want you, you know, getting compromised and, and somehow sp- screwing things up. So Marines can only be there for one year rotations. And the hardest thing to get was the clearance. And I already had one. So I just kind of jokingly walked into my first sergeant's office. I was like, Hey, first sergeant, I want to be a, I want to be a white house NCO. He's like, you got to have a top secret clearance for that. And I said, I do. He goes, the hell you do? I said, the S four shop down in the the barracks says I got one. And so he called down there and confirmed it. And then he called the sergeant major and he's like, Hey, sergeant major, I got a devil dog up here. It's got a top secret clearance, you know? And he's like, you do. He's like, send him down here. Mm. And so I went down there and sat before the sergeant major and the colonel. And next thing I know, they're like, send me to the White House. Cause they were running up against that, that kind of time border without having guys. And so I shot in there my last year. I was a, uh, I was a Marine at the White House, you know,
0: uh, for which president Clinton. Okay. Yep. You know, so the the
1: trial (laughs) with Monica Lewinsky and all that. Yeah. I was there that during that whole time.
0: Oh, Wow. Yeah. So the years you were around the Naval Academy, those were the same years I was around the Naval Academy. Um, I was working at a Christian camp nearby on the Chesapeake Bay, but because I had a wrestling background, some of my buddies would go there for Naval Academy wrestling camp, and we would be in and out on campus, and sometimes we weren't supposed to be there. But it wasn't as protected and locked down as you see it now after 9-11, man.
1: Yeah. It was ceremonial. I mean, it was literally. I mean, we were armed. Don't get me wrong, and you know, locked and loaded. But it was ceremonial. So when you passed through those gates, those Marines you saw there—that's that's what I did. You know, cool. I was there.
0: I probably passed yeah.
1: you. <laughs> may have, may have.
0: That's awesome. So, man, I'm kind of all over the place. But you mentioned Correct. earlier that you love to read. You're a big reader. What are five books off the top of your head that really stand out that had a big impact upon you?
1: Man, uh, just off the top of my head, probably Jesus, the Theophany. I think it's by Leonard and Sweet. Um, that one's huge. That one blew me away. Uh, T.W. Hunt's uh, The Mind of Christ. Um, anything by John Piper. Uh, Future Grace, uh, Desiring God. Um, Billy Graham's The Secret of Happiness was one of my first books I ever read. I only think do only think it's still in print, but hmm. it was all about the Beatitudes that, that one kind of rocked me. I did, I would drive my wife crazy. Cause I go to the library and just come back with eight books and I could read. Now I'm, I'm the type of person I can read a chapter at a time out of each one. I'm just read a chapter st- put a change stacks from one stack to another stack, you yeah. know, and just do that all the time. And she goes, how do you keep up? I was like, well, as soon as I start reading, been, eventually my brain goes back to that story or whatever, but they're all nonfiction. Um, I like all the solos. There's, uh, you know, the solo scriptura, there's a whole series of the solo scripturas that, uh, different theological, uh, professors have written. So I, there's tons, man. I,
0: I That's awesome. Yeah. I love reformed theology, man. I didn't grow up with it, but uh after I got out of college, got in the ministry, started reading uh, more about it, following guys like John MacArthur, Piper, R.C. Sproul, and yep. uh, reading some of the Puritans. I was like, where has this been my whole life? Yeah.
1: Holiness of God. R.C. Sproul is one of my favorites. Yeah. Knowing God by J.A. Packer. A great mm-hmm. book. I mean, it's classic. Yeah, man. The list goes on and on. Those are great, those are great
0: books. That's good stuff. Tell the guys about your Jiu Jitsu Academy, what you're doing there. And then also, I know that you're, I think you are some sort of chaplain at a recovery type mission. I would love for you to share about that as well.
1: Absolutely. So, Valsa uh, in, in July of, so I had a school in Virginia uh, named MMA Institute of Winchester. Right. So, we did MMA, Jiu Jitsu, the whole nine, right primary my life focus has always been Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I just love Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, we would have MMA classes, kickboxing classes, but ultimately, it was about Jiu-Jitsu. And so, in July of 2014, we were—I was a men's ministry leader. So I'd already come to the Lord for about two years. I was a men, men's ministry leader at a local church up there called Abundant Life. Uh, they've actually grown quite substantially now in that area. But um, I think they have campuses now and whatnot. But but anyway. So I was a men's ministry leader there and I was doing like men's prayer breakfasts and things like that. And so we traveled down to Birmingham because my family's I'm from here originally, right? And so we traveled down every year to visit my family, maybe go to the beach or whatever for about a week. And before that happened, um, the night prior to us leaving that Saturday morning, I had, you know, this time with the Lord and he laid on my heart that he that I was going to leave Winchester and go somewhere else and start another school and do it differently. And so I'd slowly change the culture from that kind of party, crazy, you know, culture to one that was more God honoring. It wasn't necessarily didn't have a ministry angle at all, but it was more God honoring, I guess. You know, I changed the music in the background, you know, the verbiage of how we talk, profanity went out, no more profanity on the mat, you know, things like that. No more uh, just not not talking the way you should be talking, conversations, things like that. Uh, but it just wasn't it just wasn't there yet, you know, what I wanted uh, and what I felt like the Lord was putting on my heart to do with with my school. So so the Lord on my heart, hey, you're going to go somewhere else and do it differently. And I was like, and I didn't really know where it was at. I just knew that it was going to be not in Winchester. And so I told my wife and she was totally down for it. Now, we had a house, we have kids. My daughter's going to be a senior in high school that next year. She was a junior that year. And so in 2014, July, we, we went to Birmingham. And before that, I had to run a men's prayer breakfast. And one of the guys just kind of stopped everybody goes, hey, listen, guys, I just want to let you guys know something. If God gives you a vision, I don't care if it takes 30 days, 30 years, 30 days or 30 minutes, it'll come to pass. And Mm. I was like, man, that's for me. Just based on what I felt last night. And I was like, had this weird conviction, like, man, he's talking about me, I think, you know, Mm. I didn't say that to him. I was like, wow, you know. And so I told my wife, we're driving down. It's like a four, 13 hour drive down there. And I'm talking, we're discussing where we're going to go. I don't know. I just said, the Lord, I think like confirmed this vision, you know, about doing it differently somewhere else. And she goes, where? And I said, I don't know. I just think it's going to be somewhere South. And I just asked, I bartered with the Lord. I don't like cold. Right. And so I bartered with the Lord, but Lord, I'll go anywhere you want. As long as it's not freezing. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so, uh, yeah. So I, I, but Birmingham was not on the map because my wife had always been real resistance to moving here. She's from Maryland and, and Birmingham, Alabama to her was a lot of like, you know, dogs and, 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 and fire hoses and that type of thing, you know? <laughs> and so she was like, just totally against that sort of thing being from, you know, the, the Maryland DC area. And <clears throat> so we're, we're driving down here and we're having this discussion the whole time. And I decided to drop into the Jiu class down here, a buddy of mine runs, you know, and I would do that every year. I'd come down and train, you know, when I'm here. And so I'm sitting there kind of warming up. And the Lord, actually, sorry, let me back up. This is best. So that next, that night we come in, we, we get in Saturday night. And my mom's like, hey, do you guys want to go to church in the morning? You kind of came in late. I was like, absolutely, I love your church. And so we went to this church, uh, this church of the Highlands, big church down here, went to this church down here. And the pastor's teaching on Elijah and the withholding of rain. And he's speaking and he he kind of stops what he's doing. And he, he goes in to tell his story about how the Lord had given him a vision to leave where he was at and start a church in Birmingham from scratch. And I'd heard him say this one other time, the last time I was there, he told the exact same story. And I was like, is this all this guy talks about? I hit my mom. I was like, is this all this guy talks about? She goes, no. And I was like, and so I'm interested. I'm like, okay, this is speaking to what I just got from, you know, I felt like the Lord. And so then he stops what he's saying, he goes, listen, if God gives you a vision, I don't care if it takes 30 years, 30 days, or 30 minutes, it'll come to pass. And I was like, what is going on? I mean, literally, he said that too. He
0: he said that too. He said
1: the exact same thing, dude. And I I literally looked around and I just started crying. I was like, what is going on? Like, I get chills this day. It just Mm. freaked me out. I was like, what is going on? And so I tell my wife, she's freaking out, you know, and, and just like, I was like, wow. And i have never been that guy. I'm not one of those guys. It's like, you know, let me feel this and that. And yeah. I was just like, what is going on? And so I went to my wife and we talked about it and she's like, where? And I was like, I don't know. Then I went to the next day on Monday, I went to the jiu-jitsu school and I'm sitting there warming up and I'm, you know, just waiting for his classes going to the next class, to come on and I'm stretching or whatever. And all of a sudden I just kind of get this as my imagination runs. I see my gym where it's at right now, how it looks, the type of environment. And just this whole nine, I was like, it's Birmingham. I mean, it was like, it was like, it was like given to me. It was crazy. Mm. And it was so real. It was so, I'm so confident what it was. And I was like, my wife is going to kill me. You know what I mean? (laughs) She's going to think this has been a big plot to get into Birmingham. Right. And so I was like, Oh my Lord. And so, I went home and I took my parents' house to talk to them. like, Hey, come on Sunday, talk to you for a minute. And she's like, what? And I said, I think the Lord told me where we're going to go. And she goes, where? And I said, Birmingham like that, you know? And, and she's like, I think you're right. And I was like, what? So like, I was oh, like, that man. was more shocking than, than anything. And so within four months, man, I sold my house, sold my business, sold everything and moved here with nothing. And we came in to Birmingham with $15 in the account and, and the Lord's built blind heart jujitsu since then. I mean, I don't advertise, I don't do anything. And you know, we do we pray after every class, and I give everybody prayer requests. Anybody got one? I'll pray for everybody, bless them. We have Bible study on Friday, on Sunday evenings, and yeah, man, it's amazing. Play Christian music in the background. You do it's Bible
0: awesome. study up at your uh academy
1: in, in Virginia?
0: No, the one in uh Birmingham, that's where you'll have the Bible yeah, study. Yeah, we do Bible study there. Yep. Right there on the mat. Yep. I love it
1: every Sunday, 5 p.m.
0: That is awesome. Yeah. Church of the Highlands. I think I've heard that pastor. I think he came here recently to speak as a guest speaker at the big church here in South Carolina where I'm at.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm not there any longer, but I mean, it's still a good church. They, they do amazing outreach around here, which is awesome.
0: Cool. Tell us about the uh, recovery mission, what you're doing over there.
1: Yeah, so Brother Brian Mission, I'll give you another confirmation story. That one's pretty cool. But uh, Brother Brian Mission has been around since 1948. Uh, it, was, it was started by a pastor of a third Presbyterian church here in Birmingham back then. And he started a mission to get men off the street uh, after, I guess, World War II. You had a bunch of guys that were just homeless and on the street. And he went to his congregation. He went to his elders and said, hey, guys, I want to start a mission to get men off the street and let them hear the gospel, give them some, you know, get some food in their bellies, get them showered up and see if we can't help them get their life back together. And so it's over the years, it's gone through things. But for the last 10 years, it's it's run a nine month recovery program and it's all in. It's a radical discipleship. Live in. We take care of everything. It's all donated, you know, from like mom and pop, grandma donations. We take no government money because they kind of like, well, like put their hand in stuff um, completely driven. They're nine months. It's spaced in four phases by phase four. We get them a job, get them out back in the workforce. The whole idea is for them to have a relationship with Christ, to reconnect to their family, be drug and alcohol free, and then get their own job their own car and their own place to live, you know, and so to move those men in that direction. And so, like I said, it's this, this four phase nine month recovery process to get them off drugs and alcohol and get them back productive with a, a solid relationship with Christ.
0: That's awesome, man. I love that. It's grounded in the gospel. I know that, uh, most recovery type of, uh, they're not ministries, but just programs. They got a really low success rate. Where are you guys at?
1: We float around 20%, which is crazy high. Believe it or not. Uh, the, the attrition rate for recovery and rehabs is very low. It's about 95%. Mm -hmm. Um, people reenter back into addiction. Um, we we, we float around 20. I mean, the, the the community, even the secular community recognizes the impact that we have to where now the ones locally, since we are in Alabama and the Bible Belt, they're a little bit more that they've added faith-based programs into their programming to try to tap into the success that uh, that we and, and other Christian missions share.
0: Yeah, that's good, man. Like A lot of times I see guys in recovery, they'll go from getting clean off of one addiction only to go to some other sort of addiction fix. But yet if it's truly grounded in the gospel, then it's like we got to peel back everything and get to the root cause. Uh,
1: Absolutely. That's what I do. I mean, my job as a chaplain is I'm a counselor. So I meet with my guys once a week. They do, I check their book work. I teach classes, Bible classes there. We'll preach sermons. We have a chapel service every day. They have to attend both in the morning and night. They have to go and get connected to a local body church, which we think is is vital, not through us. We're not a church. We're, we're a parachurch ministry. So our job is to get them connected to a church. Any church that's, you know, Bible based and and and, and is following scripture, uh, we'll, we'll connect them to that. Um, yeah, so I, I dig in with these guys, un- uncover their past of what led them into addiction, what's kept them into addiction. Really, it's their sin and their, their rebellion against God and to recognize that and to experience his love by the grace of Jesus Christ, man.
0: That's awesome. I love that the guys are getting in there for nine months. They're around that kind of community connection. Um, that's what guys need, man. Like even I work with a lot of guys with pornography and other sexual addictions. Uh, but a friend of mine, he's about, he just got some property. They're going to open a home and what they want to do is the same kind of thing. Give guys a prolonged period to detox, be around Christian community. You got no cell phone. You get it for like I don't know, maybe every other day, but you're monitored. You get to call your wife, whoever, but it's, man, that's the way to do it.
1: Yeah. For us, they they don't get their phone until phase three back. So they have to give up their phone. They have to give up everything uh, until phase three. They can, we have phones they can use for 15 minutes a day. They can connect, but also, otherwise they're focused on their book work, which is getting them to turn this book, man, getting them to turn this book. That's, mm. that's the key.
0: Mm. Now you got a book called The Lionheart Warrior, Your Path to Potential Purpose and Power. Guys, that's available on Amazon. But you were telling me before we hit the record button that a lot of that book, you've turned into like a coaching course called The Crucible. And I'm really interested in that. Tell us about yeah, it.
1: So, so the Lord laid on my heart, ultimately, to put... So that book, The Lionheart Warrior, I republished into another title called You Are a Warrior. Um, and it really is more of a call out. The first book was written from the perspective of we need to, we need, we we need to, we need to. And then you are a warrior. I changed it to you need to, you need to just to really call out more, uh, a little bit refining, a little bit of extra kind of maybe anecdotal stories were put in, but ultimately it's a, uh, it is going to be a book for the program that I created called the man on purpose blueprint that I put as a crucible, which is the uh, training program. So the man on purpose blueprint is a three step, I mean sorry, a nine, a three-phase, nine-step process to take men from uncertainty of purpose to certainty of purpose in 90 days. And so how do we do that? We go through three phases. One is grounded in knowing who you are in Christ, what you're supposed to be doing and how you're supposed to be getting it done. And so it's 100% pre- uh, uh, dependent on the Bible. It's 100% based in the Bible, biblical teaching. Not that I had some principle that I wanted to go find a Bible verse for, but mm-hmm. literally driven by God's word on what it takes for us to have that certainty of purpose, that real authentic confidence that lets us know that we are the impactful leaders God designed us to be.
0: Man, yeah, I love it. Well, tell the guys how they can connect with you and also some of this material.
1: Yeah. So it's real simple. It's manonpurpose.net. And that will send you to the website that actually has a learn more tab. You click on that, it opens up for the crucible. And what we do is uh, sometimes, I don't know if you've been to college courses or seminary courses, uh, they're not cheap, right? Uh, but I feel that this is your funneling into the ministry is not like the way that I'm making money or whatever, but it funnels into the ministry. So this can be given out to men free. Um, so those what we do is we say, okay, it's 247, right for this, this 13 week program. And so what we say is, is that complete the program, do all the steps, do all the work. And then at the end of it. If you don't feel like you got your money's worth for it, I'll give you every dollar back. No problem. Hmm. I give you my book digitally, audio book. I give you everything associated with it. You get a platform. You have the course for the rest of your life, as long as we can keep it on the internet. I mean, it's literally something you can never leave. It's a 13 prop blueprint that a man can constantly use to connect to not only the Lord and his walk with him, but other Christian men. And it gives you a format to do that. And that's manonpurpose.net. And so uh, the mission, if you're interested, if guys are interested in jumping along with us, is partnering with us to help funnel this. Because like I said, the mission's 100% uh, donations driven. It's bbmission.com, bbmission.com. Uh, and that's to donate and learn more about Brother Brian Mission uh, in downtown Birmingham. And then last but not least, my school is trainbjj.com. That's Lionheart Jiu-Jitsu Academy here in Birmingham uh, or Hoover, Alabama.
0: Trainbjj.com. Dot com,
1: Yeah. How I got that website, I have no idea. Yeah, so really, I was man. like, what? That's not taken? Yeah. I'm, like, yeah, I'm
0: yeah. grabbing that one. <laughs> man. Hey, this has been really good for me. I'm so glad that I had the opportunity just to connect with you, get to know you better, hear your story, and really hear the story of God moving a man from where he was, going the wrong way, really kind of just floating through to like, man, I've got a purpose for you, and I want to use you. And even the baggage, even the wound. I want to take that and I want to mm. use you with that to help other men who've been wounded and help a lot of guys that get the wrong impression sometimes of the the guru, the leader, and show them what it really means. And it's just been good stuff, man. Really Absolutely. biblical, solid, but also practical. Um, guys, make sure you connect with George on social media. Is there a handle that they need to connect with, brother? Like
1: uh, Most of it's at, Okay, you know, man on purpose, ass sign, man on purpose is, is generally how I do it. Or line heart BJJ. A lot of times is how I, I, I get those.
0: All right. I'm going to put all of it in the show notes. And i tell you what, uh, I prayed at the beginning before we hit the record button. Why don't you close this out just for a word of prayer, man?
1: Amen. Father God in heaven, I want to thank you so much for uh, just the path you put me on, but also put my brother on. I want to thank you for his podcast. I want to thank you for what the work that he's doing, my Lord. I want to thank you for the work that you're doing in and through your viewers' lives, his viewers' lives, Lord. Uh, I just want to thank you for the grace that you give us, especially what your son did for us on the cross, Lord. I pray that everyone that hears our voice uh, in this podcast and then those that hear further from each of us, Lord, that ultimately they walk with, with the understanding that you are Lord of all, that you're sovereign above all, and that there's no other way to a true abundant life than other through a relationship with your son, Jesus. Not just a head knowledge of him, Lord, but mm. but a heart knowledge of him, a, a foot knowledge. We walk with him, we we deny ourselves, take up that cross and follow him daily. We sacrifice the ways of this world, not, not gratify our flesh, but listen to the spirit you placed inside of us according to the promise you gave in Ezekiel, my Lord. I pray that you're glorified by all that we said today, all that we do as we pass from here, Lord God, that we lift you up and honor you and draw men into yourself as you said that you will. If we lift you up, you will draw them into yourself. And so we pray that happens. All glory be to you. In the name of your son, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.
0: I hope you enjoyed that interview, my brothers. I am telling you, that dude, George Webby, pushes me to be a better man, to discipline and to push myself, both physically and spiritually. Too many Christian dudes are soft and weak physically and spiritually. And I'm just sick of it, man. You know what I'm saying? Don't be that guy. In 1 Corinthians 9, verses 25 and 27, the Apostle Paul talks about how he Disciplines his body and brings it under control. Are you doing that? If not, start working at that because discipline leads to freedom, growth, and impact. Lastly, if you're a regular listener to the Grizz podcast, then stop being a mere consumer and become a partner for as little as $10 per month. That will help our nonprofit continue to do what we do. Simply go to narrowtrail.com, narrowtrail.com. Click on our Give page to set that up. It is safe, it is secure, it is easy, and you can cancel at any time. We need listeners just like you to support this ministry. If we're a blessing to you, then be a blessing back to our ministry. More good content is coming your way right here on The Greatest Podcast. My brothers, keep stepping up. Keep manning up and discipline yourself, my brothers, both physically and spiritually. I'm out.